Welcome all to By Association. I'm Marisa Janaku. And I'm Emma Hooper. And this week, we'll be talking about TikTok surprising all by laying off European and US-based employees. BMW is asking you to subscribe to keep your seats heated. Uh, Kift believes you need a subscription for living remotely in a van for a month. And Nike plays homage to the women of soccer with a kick-ass campaign. Emma, how are you? And where are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm in Somerset. It's been quite a nice few days. My family... uh, We've all been around and we had a bit of a garden party, 35-year wedding anniversary that I spoke about in the last episode. So that was a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, it's quite nice, actually. My mum and dad bought this plot of land and started building a house just, I think, about 15 years ago. So I can kind of relate to you, Mo, with your house building situation. But um, yeah, they lived in a caravan for 12 years whilst they were doing it. So Needless to say, we really appreciate having this lovely big house in the country now. But um, yeah, it's nice to be here. It's good. And then I suppose, yeah, we opened up the Miami Brickle Hotel at Citizen M. That was really quite a nice thing. Good achievement for the team. Um, Yeah. And then I'm going to London on what tonight, actually. And then we'll be there until the weekend. How about you? (laughs) Uh, For me, um, I mean, it's Miami all in all. Miami opened today, so... So, yes, that's a great achievement for the team and for the company and, and, and more to follow, uh, you know, second one in Miami to follow, one in Chicago, Washington, Noma. So just a lot to follow. And then, you know, with our latest uh, um, series of content called Citizens of the World, just getting great feedback uh, from, you know, from, from, from people, from the communities where, where, where we're hosting these, uh, what the, this series about, but also, you know, uh, from um, colleagues in the same uh, business, uh, also other it's marketing brand directors, uh, CMOs and so forth. Yeah, everyone's really positive about it. So, yeah, nice. so super happy about that. So, uh, yeah, um, we said we'll start with good news. So what's my good news of the day, actually? I just read that uh, the uh, tennis star player from uh, Russia, let me just get her name. So she's actually come out, uh, she's actually come out uh, uh, as gay, as a Russian. That's quite a big step for her. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, 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 her name is Daria Kazakh. Kina, so she's the number one player, I think, in Russia. Uh, she's come out against or against, you know, homophobia in her own country. So, so again, another uh, kind of historic and uh, yeah, just a lot of uh, historic step for someone like that to to fight against the the kind of the homophobia that's we all know is living and breathing within Russia. Yeah, very much so. Right, it's very difficult over there. It just it seems like just why it does exist of course but it feels like people look at it like it's it's something that doesn't exist or it's very archaic isn't it in Russia in that sense I think from what we see I suppose Mm. yeah exactly that's really great though that's really nice I like this good news thing it's cool (laughs) so you're going to bring one next week right well I have I have a slight one that kind of lends to one of our topics so the uh, female soccer, but the tournaments that are going on, the UK, well, England are doing really, really well with it, which is quite nice to see. Since I've been here, I've been watching a bit of TV and literally every single advert that you see um, has an element of supporting women and the soccer. It helps that we're doing well. I guess it's, it's quite a positive thing to talk about, but it's really nice. You see lots of brands getting off the back of it and um, yeah, a lot of a lot of interesting conversation. It's something that doesn't really get that much talk traditionally. I think overall, right, globally, women's 
soccer. I think it's a lot bigger in the US though. It's definitely a lot bigger in the US. Yeah, it was big here in Holland when they were hosting it. Mm. Um, but then unfortunately, like now they aren't hosting it. You're not seeing any of the promotions as much as uh, as it was, I would say. So that's a bit of a shame. And people are like, oh, it's not as great as the men's soccer. So yeah, it's a bit of a... It's a bit of a shame that people aren't as into it as they were when when it was hosted here. But uh, but it's good to see that it's gotten the attention it has. There's a lot of ads and it's on TV, on BBC, on, on Dutch TV. So it's good to see. And it's good to know that England and uh, Holland are both still in it. So uh, let's see. Hopefully that's going to be the final. Yeah, good one. It's kind of like Formula One. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But Holland will win this one. <laughs> we'll see, Mo. We'll see. Well, if, if your predictions are anything to go by, then I think that's that's yeah. probably a dead so. Yeah, okay. I agree with you this time. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure, for sure. Okay, uh, let's uh, let's kick off with topic one. So uh, TikTok has joined the ranks of major tech companies and startups like Google, Apple, and Tesla, freezing hiring or or having layoffs in recent weeks as fears of the economic downturn have taken hold. So yesterday, uh, Wired Magazine reported that TikTok, which is owned by the Chinese company ByteDance, informed employees in Europe that their jobs were at risk and to expect an invitation from HR in the coming weeks, while in US, while sorry, while US-based employees began work hours later, only to find out find out that their roles were being eliminated. So one of TikTok's earliest executive hires, David Ortiz, who came from Snap, announced on LinkedIn today, sorry, yesterday, that he was leaving the company because his role was being eliminated as, as part of a much larger reorganization effort. So with TikTok crossing the 1 billion mark in active users last September, and with a reported 10,000 employees worldwide, is this just a precautionary move because of the uh, economic downturn? Or is this the result of their marketplace test, which they did in the UK, which wasn't deemed successful? Emma, TikTok, the best Hmm. thing ever, but apparently they are firing people. What are you thinking? Strange. I think we obviously look at TikTok as something that's really progressive, something that's quite thriving at the moment in terms of social for brands, uh, for personalities, and just in the world. I think, you know, a lot of stuff that I'm seeing on TikTok is a lot more news based now. It's becoming a bit more of an informative channel in that kind of media space as well. But it seems to be a trend that we're seeing with companies overall post pandemic. Um, You know, even those ones that we saw during the pandemic is a real opportunity, things like, I suppose, Airbnb, um, TikTok, I'm not saying that Airbnb are doing this as well, but there were definitely some businesses that lended really well to the pandemic um, and movements. And um, yeah, it seems like maybe there was an overhire. This is what I'm, uh, through research and just seeing all these companies that are doing this at the moment, it seems like they had an influx of investment, which comes with a bit of a, an encouragement to hire and bring on new talents. Um And yeah, it's something that will then continue to rise. And then ultimately, after pandemic, economic, global, um, yeah, hardship, I suppose, causes a lot of people to have to to leave after that. That could definitely be one of the sides of it. Um, Feels like quite a natural process, I suppose. But um, it's really harsh that in the US, they just asked them to go, I think. It's immediate over there, right? It's completely different to the way that we do things over here. You're kind of fired in the morning and you leave before lunch. But um, yeah, I think it's definitely still got opportunity, but maybe they've just over, over kind of compensated for what they thought. It's strange that a channel like that would 
bring on and then uh, and kind of get rid. What do you think? Yeah, so I think, I mean, if, if um, so TikTok, so ByteDance is, you know, Chinese company. I think it's still a private company, so it's quite closed. We're not mm. getting a lot of data. It's unlike, you know, the Googles and the Apples where you have to get these financial reports and understand what went well, what the revenue stream was and so forth. So I think one, if we look at them, or if, if we look at where they're focusing the layoffs being in the EU and US, that also kind of might give clarity on where they see the growth of the business, right? So do they see the growth of business outside of this where it's purely going to be active users, but probably, you know, because of the economic downturn, they foresee also, uh, you know, um, European and US users not spending as much as they maybe would in Asia on this channel. Um, we don't have that data. It could be. And then that marketplace uh, that they wanted to test that did wasn't successful in the UK could be that first sign for them to say, hey, this might not be the market where we're going to see growth in revenue versus growth in users, right? So you grow, user growth is great, but is it going to... You know, is it going to pay out in revenue? And possibly they're going to—they're now probably seeing other data within that we are unable to see at the moment, where we see that you know there is no real future revenue within these markets. Mm -hmm. I think you know that was partly also what the whole case was with the Facebook, right? So Facebook really, when they went to the um, when they went for the IPO, the biggest challenge there was how are we now going to turn from a company that is a fun company that just has users to actually have these users become a source of revenue. And that's when advertising came in, right? Mm -hmm. And it, right now, Facebook is not really the place pre-IPO, which it was. It's purely an advertising space. It's become that where TikTok is now figuring out, okay, if we want to make it a revenue generating uh, company, which markets will that be? And like you said, probably overhired hoping that you know the product development for the EU and US would actually uh, uh, reap its benefits, and it probably hasn't, and that's probably why they're just doing the harsh decision of saying we'll let go of that side of the company and we'll focus on the Asian uh, team and focus on developing it here. Yeah, it's it's quite scary that data can obviously give you what you need to know information-wise as a business, but then can make harsh snap decisions like this based on it, right? A company that's so pushed by, um, well, I suppose, conscious of, of their users and has that ability within. I had a quick look before we came on to record and I was just looking on LinkedIn. I thought, TikTok, I wonder if they're, you know, what kind of roles I can see. And I think you're right with the other point as well, Mo, because a lot of the positions that they're hiring for are like paid ads managers, uh, data analysts, all these kind of things that will bring in a lot of um well, hopefully would bring in a bit more cash to the business and yeah, think of it more on that side of things rather than the kind of creative roles that I imagine would um, would take away a lot of that, but also be needed. It's a bit of a gamble, right? Yeah, yeah it's a bit of a gamble. And we see this with the other uh, social media channels, right? Again, it's very region specific, right? So Facebook is still quite big in Asia, whilst, you know, maybe here in Europe a lot less, but, but you see this cycle of a new a social media platform like a Facebook, like an Instagram, like a Twitter take hold um, and, and kind of reach max capacity, uh, then they have to start making revenue and then it changes. And where now TikTok is, is the next hot thing. Have they now reached that, 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 that peak and now they're on a downturn and 
seeing that and therefore now trying to figure out how are we going to survive as a company because once the next best uh, thing comes for the ne- next generation tiktok will be uh you know will be the myspace yeah interesting i wonder what will be next is it's going to have to progress in this kind of like image-led video sounds kind of space i think but maybe that well i suppose the metaverse will be something but i'd be interested to see how tiktok could implement that kind of uh that kind of digital side to their business and to their content as well. Yeah. And I remember a few weeks back, we also talked about them probably going into subscription. So that could possibly be the direction that they're going to go now as well. Mm. So, uh, yeah. And talking about subscriptions, (laughs) my God, we are fantastic with segues, just to be clear here. Talking about subscriptions, BMW is now offering British drivers the option of enjoying a heated seat on a monthly subscription basis. For a monthly payment of £10, British drivers who did not select the option while purchasing the car or have bought a second-hand car can have BMW enable this option to ensure no driver is left with a cold bum. That's my English. That's my <laughs> British right there. This is just an example of uh, this is just an example of one subscription from BMW that they plan to release globally. Currently, owners in North America can separately purchase remote start functionality that allows drivers to start the engine from a distance to warm it up, of course. Mm-hmm. Other functions called BMW Drive Recorder, which uses the car's external cameras to make video recordings and a dashboard is also something that they're making available uh, to subscription. So is this the way to make cars more accessible? Uh, you know, dropping the price, but keeping the options as, as, a, as a subscription. And, uh, you know, what, I mean, do you own a car, Emma? No, or no, I don't. Own a car? I, d- I know you own a cowboy bike. Yeah, I own a cowboy bike, which I think is basically probably close-ish to a cheap car that you could buy um, in cost-wise. And also actually has quite a few subscription elements. Like when I came to buy it, um, it had the option to have roadside assistance, kind of um, if anything goes wrong. Then the same with like maintenance. Um, and then that included different types of subscriptions. So uh, everything from if a wheel needs repairing to a full kind of service included within your subscription. Um, they also have like hands-on kind of chat that I spoke about when I came off my cowboy. Um, so yeah, I d- you've got a Tesla, right? And you, is, there's a subscription with that and, and stuff that you can add on. Uh, there isn't necessarily a subscription with it. Uh, not that I have. I think that there is a, a subscription with supercharging, which I, which I don't really have at the moment. For me, it's free. But what Tesla did, so what Tesla, I think they're, they are eventually going to go into that. And, and it's curious because I think, you know, um, uh, so like Tesla, Tesla cars all almost have the same battery and the same uh, distance that they can travel. But it actually is just software, which BMW is doing, that they turn off for some cars. So I could see them possibly making that a subscription option to say, hey, if you want to, you know, if you have long trips, turn it on for X amount of months, right? I think that that's optional. But Tesla actually don't have uh, any subscription models uh, to, to the car. It's just options that you buy at the moment when you purchase the car. So it's not necessarily uh, something that, that, that they have. But I know there's, for example, in Holland here, and it's uh, and I and and it's also I think in other countries in Europe, there's the car company called Lincoln Co. Mm. Uh, so it's basically it's a company. It it falls under the uh, it it's, it has the same uh, mother company uh, Chinese mother company as uh, Volvo, and what they do is it's 
instead of doing the private lease, they call it a subscription. So you have a fixed fee of, I think it's 550 euros and you can use the car. And then it's a minimum, I think it's a minimum of two or three months that you have to have the car. But after that, you can stop it monthly, right? Mm. And you also have the possibility to share the car uh, with uh, others if, if, if you want. So you can actually say, well, you know, Emma, if you want to share the car with me, you're going to pay 250 of the 550, let's say, mm, to use good. it for, you know, two out of the three days of the week. Are they all electric? They're, they're, whenever I see them, they're huge. Are they electric cars, Lincoln Co? Uh, Lincoln Co, they're a hybrid, hybrid. Oh, okay. Hybrid, yeah. hybrid, I think. So what do you think of this subscription? I mean, people are saying it's we're turning into a subscription, uh, <laughs> subscription-based uh, uh, kind of uh, a, a, a civilization. Everything is becoming, you know, because to be honest, a car on private lease is a subscription in a sense. Um, what are your thoughts on, on on the world going away from you know saving money and purchasing to subscription base for everything? I think it's it's definitely good for both businesses and for the consumer in lots of ways. And this with BMW is a way of them making more money, I suppose. We've seen this in many industries. Um, you know, for example, I mean, if you were to write down all the subscriptions that you have, it, it wouldn't just be your Netflix. It's, you know, mailboxes. It's... Um, uh, different streaming services. It's, uh, you know, the contract that you pay on your phone in some ways is a, a subscription, like you said. So, yeah, it's also quite a nice way to, I was thinking about this quite deeply, and it's a subscription can be quite a nice way for the consumer to feel like they're personalizing a service. And then they feel more valued by this kind of unique service that they get, which is quite an interesting element brand-wise. Um and yeah, it is a way to make cars more like accessible, I suppose. And at BMW, you know, they've got a few great electric cars um, and they're really starting to, I think like most car brands, really push into that space. Um, that must be quite an expensive, uh, kind of new, to some extent, um, innovative kind of process to produce those products and those cars. Um, and then they're on, of course, they need to make a margin. So it could be quite expensive to the consumer. Um, and maybe this is a way of allowing a bit more of a purchase and widening their, their kind of net for types of consumer that they can target with these pieces and, and make them feel a bit more special. You know, I know that when, when you buy a Volvo, um, I think it's Volvo. Yeah, I think they take you over to Sweden. If you buy a brand new one, you get a kind of ticket to go to Sweden, have this trip, stay at their factories um, in this beautiful hotel they've got in, in the mountains and make it quite an experience um, there on. But I think maybe this is a kind of progression of making you feel a bit more special and unique with when you buy a car and when you invest in a business like that. Um, yeah, it makes me think of my Citizen M Plus, right? And not to plug it, but that's a membership subscription that we have. Um, I think it's £10 a month, isn't it? And then you're part of this kind of membership. You get the free late checkout, you get 10% off direct bookings. And then you feel, you know, our whole ethos is around making luxury more accessible um, and affordable. Um, and then that way, this subscription kind of allows you to be part of something luxurious, whereas you get a little bit extra. Um, I don't know. Yeah. What do you think, Mo? I'm quite interested to see what you think about this. No, I think, extras. yeah, so um, I, I, I think there's a revolution in subscription coming, mm. right? So I believe we used to all have subscriptions like Spotify and the Netflix, which was, hey, you pay a certain amount, you get 
this service. I think you were very good on talking about personalization. Hmm. So I believe the next step, and this is where I think BMW's, this subscription service from BMW makes sense. And I think if you dissect it, what are they actually doing is they're giving you the option to decide when to use a option for the car when it suits you, right? So back to that whole Tesla bit, I have a Tesla that goes, you know, 350 kilometers, but if I can buy a subscription for my, for the next one month, when I, when I travel by car to France for a holiday and it, and it opens up 450 kilometers, Hey, that gives me personalization that that fits in. And I think that I would love to see the likes of Spotify and the Netflix and all these other memberships actually saying, here's a base membership for, you know, so kind of like buying uh, the BMW. Here's your base, which is really easy, accessible for everyone. And then here are the options on top of that. So, for example, I think Netflix are looking at, you know, uh, to run with ads. Or is it that you only can use Netflix in the evening? So you buy a membership that allows you to only have Netflix in the evening because that's really when you use it. Mm. So I really see this personalization of options. So I would love to see it more in, 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 in the car industry. But I think there are many other industries that can possibly do this because we are looking for a lot more personalization of these memberships because they're just getting very... Yeah, it's, 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 it's either all or nothing, right? Yeah, I think... And what like, BMW are showing is it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It can be optional. Yeah. Right? So there's certain options in this. So take Soho House, for example, same thing, right? So it's a, here's a membership, but what if you could do a base for Soho House? Uh, I don't use the gym, so I don't buy that extra membership option. Or let's say I'm training for a triathlon and I want to use the gym for the three months, but I'm on holiday for another three. Yeah. It, it binds me and think, oh, you're thinking about me, not about yourself. So I'm not going to pay for the gym for those three months. It's just that personalization of when you need it, you can order it. And I think that binds you in longer and makes you feel more appreciated by the brand. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, look at ClassPass. I think you can pay um, like 30 euros a month and, and have fitness. And now there's optional add-ons, almost like a treat well, beauty kind of lifestyle service. So with ClassPass, I've seen it slowly progress. So it started with, you know, offering you a healthy juice at the place next to where you go to yoga in the mornings more often um, for some of your credits within your membership. And now they're even adding, you know, manicure services or, um, massages or you know kind of even hairstyling this kind of thing so for an extra cost and then mm. that's quite an interesting subscription because that's with credits not necessarily buying a you can buy the bulk amount but you can also buy if you're low on credits after you've used it for all these fantastic things with class pass you can actually add on two more credits or 10 more credits um, so that's quite a unique one I suppose and starting to touch more points of your life it made me think about OnlyFans as well, right? Subscription-only content. Um, and then you think about paywalls with uh, like media outlets, like the New York Times, for example. Um, could they add like in-person subscriptions um, for OnlyFans? You know, like uh, it's quite aggressive, yeah. but meetups, you know, could be an extra thing. Um, and then, <laughs> you know, deeper access with paywalls. I, 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 it's good to know you've done a lot of research on OnlyFans. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> uh, not necessarily, not necessarily. <laughs> um, yeah, and I was, I was thinking, you know, like with paywalls, like 
when I first, um, when I was at university, they offered students a kind of discounted price for a Sunday Times subscription. And one of the things that I really liked was the newspaper um, to come in physical form. So that was something extra you could add on as well as your digital um, format. So I think it's been happening slowly in different industries in different ways. But um, it's interesting how when you first purchase something, now you get the choice and the unique kind of plush service. Yeah. Is the subscription another, well, let's say, is it a pay later in disguise? So remember a few episodes ago, we talked about Apple doing uh, Apple pay later and that we're afraid that's going to make people <laughs> kind of not be able to pay and, and actually bring a lot more debt to the world. Is subscription a form of pay later, but then without the kind of, oh, you're not enabled to pay, therefore we'll take this away from you. So it actually is a safer form of pay later. Yeah. Or is it actually, you know, like you said, if you, you always buy something kind of on subscription where you have elements of it that you don't use, like say the gym in Soho House, is it something you could cut back on? But mm. it doesn't seem to be like that. It seems to be stuff you can add, right? It never seems to be stuff you can take away as such. Yeah. Mm. No, true, true, true. But I think, you know, I think I think we are moving into a subscription based society. I think it'll be funny. I've never really done this where I actually dissect my uh, monthly uh, cost and see what is all what do I have on subscriptions? and What do I really still use? I'd be so curious to see that. Right? I think we should do that. I think it's quite a healthy that. thing to do, right? Maybe once a year, because I bet we've all got subscriptions that we just don't use or completely forgot about logging into or you know, I bet there's loads for every single person. Yeah, 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 not true. And so I'm going to move to the next subject because actually I think it's a continuation of the discussion when it comes to membership subscriptions. I think it would be good to kind of let's let's continue the conversation on this one. I think so the van life startup uh, Kift is selling a very of the moment mashup of Airbnb meets WeWork meets co-living on wheels for a monthly fee. There you go of nine hundred and twenty five dollars or $425 a month on the annual plan. There, that subscription right there. Members can bring their vans to one of the company's four compounds, which it calls clubhouses. Hey, I've heard that somewhere before. They can also rent a remodeled Mercedes-Benz Sprinter van for, for the company uh, from the company for an extra $2,500 a month. Basically, the compounds are just RV sites with better branding, friendlier neighbors, and bougie amenities. The idea is that a group of 25 or so travelers come together around one stationary building, dubbed the clubhouse, and live together for a month. Each of these clubhouses has a kitchen, long tables for laptop work and conference calls, fast Wi-Fi, and as the website promises, shared values, healthy lifestyles, and a life of exploration to work, celebrate, create, share stories, and laugh and cry together. <laughs> so, wow, well, that's a bit over-marketed, isn't it? feeling like a deja... Yeah, it feels a bit like uh, Deja We Crashed. Um, so, Emma, remember? That was your task a few weeks ago. No, Watch I, We Crashed. I haven't what watched have it, you, but I know the story. It? Have you done, fulfilled your task? <laughs> I haven't watched it. I wish it would not be on Apple TV and come to HBO or Netflix, um, if, if you're listening. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I know, I know the story, and definitely it, it aligns pretty much with that, right? It sounds like it, doesn't it? It's quite extreme. Well, it's that it's 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 kind of that you know that kind of very much um, promising yeah, the world coming together and 
kumbaya kumbaya moment and all that <laughs> it's kind of like they're selling that and and it's yeah but in but in fact it's just basically people in a van and uh, uh coming together to share a communal house where they can work and cook together is what i think it is mm. it's an interesting timing on this as well i think like one of the things that i know we're quite we're always on the back of different hotels and what they're expanding to do. I know that we spoke before about Camp Hawks um, and how the Hoxton tried to kind of do this in a, a more, I don't know, I suppose, plush way with a with a van. But do you know about what happened with that, Mo? It didn't really work, right? Yeah, no. So, yeah, so in two, it was last year in 2021 in summer, they launched yeah, Camp Hawks, which is basically you could rent camper i think it was a volkswagen camper beetle of volkswagen campers from from them to go from one hoxton to the other and it was all like all kitted out hoxton-esque um but uh, they basically been that idea uh because they had an even better idea according to themselves and they basically relaunched camp uh sorry camp hawks as a uh, as basically a tiny house meets uh, french countryside so it's basically <laughs> camping so they've been that idea because i don't think i i mean why i, I mean yeah why um <laughs> and they have dubbed it more of a you know a camping ground on that but i think yeah i mean would you would you pay okay would you pay the let's let's do the thousand would you pay the thousand dollars to go for a month uh um to a national park in the u.s and have a kumbaya moment with uh, <laughs> people and work work remotely from there I, I i'm quite into this kind of stuff you know like, i do like the stripping back of life but i also love the luxuries as well like we spoke about cabernet when i went the the elements of um, luxury that were implemented into that kind of wholesomeness was a perfect mix for me. Um, I don't know if I'd pay a thousand dollars for it um, because then it would it would feel it has it's quite a it's quite a sweet spot they have to hit in price and it's experience. for a month. Eh? It, it, it's a month. It's 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 a month. Eh? It's, a, it's month. a month. It's a thousand for a month. So I mean, what would you spend on a holiday, right? If you're going to go and stay at a hotel. You'd spend a lot more than that. Of course, you'd get a lot more. But one of the things that people often do this for is like the cheap element of, you know, getting to explore and just ease of driving around doing exactly what you want. I think when when a hotel or like a too much of a luxury service is pushed into it, then it takes away from that and you feel kind of controlled. I think the people that go on this want to feel relatively free that was what was good about cabineer because we didn't actually see anyone who worked at cabineer the entire time we picked up our stuff the food and everything that we needed for the hike at a tiny little shed you know we thought that the guy in the the office next door was working for cabineer but he was just the like the park ranger <laughs> had no idea about cabineer so i think <laughs> um i think there's they they need to strip it back a bit. Does it work? I don't know. I mean, I I do like bougie camping, but I don't know. I'm not sure. Would you do it with the girls and like family wise? Uh, no, no. Look, I think <laughs> I think this is exactly this is yeah this is exactly what we uh, how we introduce this piece right mashup of WeWork Airbnb. So I think it's it's probably trying to. Uh, hook on to the whole tech 
tech industry goes to nature, Patagonia wearing uh, Amazon people and hooking onto that, um, which is a very, I believe, a very specific audience. So that's why it probably would work in the U.S. Again, also the U.S. is much more of an RV friendly and an RV country, let's say. So I think in the U.S. this will definitely probably work also because people have a lot more money to spend there on things like this. Huh? Um, whilst in here in Europe, I don't think it would be something that's why Camp Hawks never really, I think, kicked off because it just was the wrong, um, I mean, here in, the, in Europe, it just wasn't working probably in the U S didn't, didn't work as well. So, um, again, but if we peel it back and talk about what is actually what they're busy with here is subscription is the pricing, right? Don't know. I mean, that's very much a so, you know, maybe they're trying to be so a house, but without as many cabins. Um, but again, this is, again, the the idea of our civilization going into a subscription based um, um, a subscription based way of living. Right. So buying into and subscribing to the way of living you want to live at that moment and then being able to cancel and get out, let's say. Right. So that's also where subscriptions have changed, where previously you could previously when you did a subscription, you were tied in for a full year. This isn't the case anymore. Right. That's also why they have two different plans. If you want to get tied in for a year, it's cheaper. But most people will most likely not do that because, you know, I don't see a whole year doing that is just not the ideal. I do like the idea of it. I do like what they're trying to do. But. For me, it's uh, exactly it's WeWork meets Airbnb meets SOA house mentality and uh, not something I would like to do, let's say. No, I think maybe our, my first thought was, well, maybe with freelancers, like, you know, you can one of my thoughts is that I'd love to next year be able to travel a little bit more, but still not do that kind of work in advance, sacrifice, save, then to have a week off and then be able to go everywhere. I suppose you take out a bit of the element of traveling as long as you can get a Wi-Fi connection, which I imagine actually if you were driving around in a van, you probably wouldn't most of the time if you were using it to its full potential, you know, pitching up on an incredible hill somewhere, there's not going to be Wi-Fi signal there. Um, yeah, the, the way that they do Soho Farmhouse uh, here in, like in Oxford is really really well done but if I think about that caliber of person if that's who they're trying to get I don't see those people driving around in their own um in their own vans doing their own thing there's still people that like to be served you know like to sit in the boat but like to be rowed around you know it's uh it's it's quite I'd love to see the pitch for this and how they put it together into like a deck and the kind of audience that they're looking to really get to with this subscription yeah, I think it's also, it's also again they're focused on remote working as well, right? Mm-hmm. So they, it's maybe a, maybe this 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 pitch deck was put together, you know, six months ago when everybody was thinking that oh that is the future life for all of us. We all are going to be remote working. No one's going to go back to the office. All offices are going to close. It was probably when this pitch deck was made. Everyone bought into it, um, but like we discussed uh, not long ago, a lot of em- um, employers are asking their people to come back to the to, to the office at least you know two times a week or three times or completely like uh, our good friend Elon does right <laughs> um, and 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 that I think is the kind of the caveat to this 
to this model that they've put together is that it's based on the idea that, you know, people will want to live remotely and work remotely. So these are basically for probably freelancers or people who, who live alone, who want to come together into a community and therefore, you know, will come to one of these, uh, one of these, you know, clubhouses. Mm. But as more companies request people to come back to the office, yeah, will it really work is the question. I'm seeing a big influx in like, I don't know if it's just because of what I've been looking at, but like retreats and, and things like that are really becoming quite a thing. A lot of smaller businesses setting up retreats and different spots, kind of people buying land and opening up hotels. And I've got a couple of friends who are quite keen to do it in places like Mexico. Um, that kind of element and then brands getting involved in it, you know, like skincare brands and um yeah, different holistic uh, kind of ways of living and life coaches and things like that. I think there's definitely a shift into how that can become more of a holiday versus the plush. It's still plush, you know, it's still very expensive when you go on these retreats, but I'm just seeing, I don't know if it's just because the people that I'm hanging around with are a bit more into retreats and things like that, but um, I think there could be some sort of camping retreat scenario kind of movement uh, like data wise but you could see that people are more keen on that than holidays to cypher france in a big villa or something like that i think there's that audience maybe those people are, are shifting to this a little bit more as well this kind of nature element yeah this would probably work more in the u.s than here in europe so so definitely so i think Again, I think it's a good example of possible subscriptions, but um, let's see if it works. We might be proven wrong, and it might be the best next thing, and that all <laughs> we'll be on one. <laughs> travel to these clubhouses and, and 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 feel as one. We'll be on one. <laughs> so yeah, cool. Let's go to the final topic. The British designer Martina Rose has announced her second Nike collaboration. The Nike Shox MR4 is a reimagined take on the classic Shox style, which, in keeping with the spirit of the designer, became a mainstay of the British grime scene, among other subcultures, at the time of its release. Martina Rose's version has a higher Shox to resemble a heel and is styled as a mule, a nod to the square-toed mules from her own label that have become something like her signature. Uh, the collaboration is accompanied by a very good campaign highlighting women within football with great stories, achievements, and statements. For example, Ruth Runo made headlines with a viral image and comments thereon of her breastfeeding her child during halftime at a match, some good, some bad. So for her to pose with her daughter, now five or six years old, in this campaign is quite a statement. Emma. Yeah, there's some great case studies for this one. Like there's another woman and they have these kind of typeface uh, kind of quotes, what you what you would think from the, the models and the, the people that they've shot wearing these Nike shocks. There's one that says, I was England's first black manager. Um, another one that says, I safeguard women in football and she works with refugees. So there's a lot of uh, kind of female skill and like hard hitting stories and societal stuff within these campaigns. It's really great. It's, um, it's nice to see the Nike shocks kind of coming into coming back around again. I remember when I was younger in primary school, I think I must've been, I don't know, about 12, maybe 13. And I always wanted a pair of Nike shocks, but they were pretty expensive. Um, and kind of masculine actually. So it's quite nice to see these, 
really pushed into that heel side of it, made very feminine. Um, and I know that Martine's very famous for the kind of menswear stuff. So it's nice to see that that meld between men's and women's um, traditionalism stuff here. But yeah, it's a great, great campaign. Um, there are so many different images. Um, and that one that you touched on with um, uh, Ruth Ranio, for example, I mean, those headlines, so basically it was something that happened, I'm not sure how long ago, but looking at her daughter in the campaign, I would say four, maybe two, four or five years ago, um, yeah, she basically breastfed her daughter during halftime and there were some awful photographers that took pictures and then wrote stories about how she shouldn't have done it publicly, um, you know, and, and just this kind of shaming around the element of breastfeeding in public is still somewhere a thing. Um, and yeah, for her to then be posing and be the face of a night campaign is is incredible. And she's also a pilot. So it kind of tells the story of these women's skills. Um, and it's really nice because it's more of a UK campaign focus, I think, but they've got women from different football teams all over the world. Um, yeah, and it's 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 really, really nice. I think okay. it's a great, great move from Nike. They do things like this really well, and she's a great person to work with as well. What are your thoughts, Mo? You love this, right? <laughs> I mean, Nike, Nike's done it again, right? So mm -hmm. I think it's a constant challenge within, uh, you know, within uh, marketing in general and just, you know, uh, you know, marketing your brand is how do you market your brand uh, to kind of tap into the emotions of the general public? How do you market your brand with not always just showing that product over and over again, right? Again, because again, showing that product over and over again is purely a transactional based relationship. And what you want to build is you want to build relationships with your audience. You want them to buy into your brand and actually, you know, be a ambassador of your brand. And I think Nike does that fantastically because again, yes, the shocks are in the picture. If you look at the pictures, but nothing about this ad campaign says buy these shocks. What they say is be as strong as these women wearing these shocks, right? Yeah. So it takes that narrative and changes it to making you feel like, okay, I want to be these people. It's an aspirational bit that they add so perfectly. And what I love about it is it's not an aspirational ad that's look at all these celebrities on a pedestal aspiration. Of course they do that also with their with, with their football shoes. But that's again for those for that audience, that's what they aspire to be. But this is us looking at people who are like us, but we want to aspire to be in the way we think and do and live. So for me, it's hats off to Nike doing this again. Um, it's hats off to the kind of photography it is. It's it's so well done, well executed, and, and this partnership is just amazing. Um, yeah, and I really, again feel strongly and feel support for brands that stand for something don't just you know stand back and 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 when you know when there's certain um uh, sensitive topics kind of shut up i think the fact is they don't shut up so one of the ads um is um is is uh, two two ladies uh khartoum Dembele and Fone Diawara, right? Yeah, and what this is they, a good one. Pictures of them, and we won't be silenced. And basically, these are campaigners fighting against the hijab ban in France, so something that they believe for. Not a lot of brands would have dared to put that up on there. 
Yeah, and I mean as that well, they support this. When you think about Nike, they they do they create products for that as well, right? So they're one of the I think I remember I don't know how long ago it was, but they're one of the only sports brands that make a hijab um a swimsuit and running gear and all that kind of stuff. They really uh, yep. forefronted that. So it's really authentic in their messaging. It's not like, oh, here are these two people. Let's pull them in and talk about this. It's like from every level, this brand supports this. You know, it's fantastic, I think. Yeah, and that's really where, you know, if you really want to be a brand that stands for change, if you want to be a real brand that, you know, strikes a chord with people on an emotional level, Nike is a great example. It's, 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 it's a brand I look at in, you know, my role within Citizen M of how we can make Citizen M also become not only a hotel room, but how we can become a way of life, how we can kind of support, you know, the business travelers throughout the world and become more of a brand that they feel supports them than just a place, than just a simple bed and, and, and pillow. So that is what we constantly do. Uh, what I constantly do also with the team is ensuring that we create those unique emotional moments. So again, I love this ad. I think it's fantastic. It's, it's, and it's so simple. It's so simple. You know, these campaigns don't need to be, don't need to be, you know, don't need to be overly produced and costing 500 million. This is, if you look at it, it I mean, I don't know how much it costs. It probably costs a bit. But it's a very simple campaign and simplicity is always the key to great campaigns and great success. Yeah, I really love it too. Would you say that Nike is one of your favorite brands then? Or is it your favorite brand if you had to look at something brand wise? Yeah. No, I mean, I have different brands all around, but Nike for me is definitely up there. I, I, look, at, I look at everything they do and, and, and I really believe that they really understand the dynamics of of, of, of being a global brand, talking to different consumers at different levels and how they navigate that and still remain one true global brand. That's amazing. It's a difficult thing to do, but it's amazing. Yeah, that's true. Definitely. <laughs> you? Yeah, I think Nike definitely are one of my favorite brands. Um, it's something that's so strong and, and also, like you say, like adheres to so many types of sport the whole ethos around fitness is fantastic but then how it's not unobtainable and it's not you know you don't have to they want you to be the best but they want you to be the best version of yourself which sounds a bit cheesy but I think it rings true in everything that they do and I've yeah I, I really love them I would say they're one of my top yeah. ones cool then <laughs> let's just keep looking out for Nike so we've come to the end Emma of this episode <laughs> It's a bit of a was a bit of a struggle to get the tech right on this podcast. Yeah. So 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 any tech issues, please please let Emma know. Um, <laughs> so uh, my what, fault. How's your how, how's your weekend week? How's your weekend weekend looking like? Yeah, good. I mean, I said I'm I'm going to London tonight, which would be nice. Um, connect with some different friends and a little bit of work bits as well, which is nice. A bit of both, and then. Next weekend, I've got one of my best friends from London, Kate, that I live with. Uh, she's coming to stay. She lives in New York, and I haven't seen her through the pandemic and a little bit before that as well. So, yeah, some nice things to look forward to. <laughs> How about you? Uh, going on a holiday. Oh, yeah, of course. So yeah. There might, there, there, might be, there might be a guest host joining Emma next week. Yeah, we've got um, one, of my, one of my good friends as well. Um, Hopefully she's going to come and join us called Laura. She's the creative lead from Firefetch and she's just a fantastic person. So hopefully we'll have a good, uh, good bit of discussion together as well. <laughs> good one. Looking forward to listening to that one. 
No, perfect. Thanks a lot, Emma. And uh, and uh, I will see you when I come back from my holiday. Thanks. Thanks, Mo. Nice one.